Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. All right, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Are you warm? <sighs> totally. Thank you. Can I get some validation for why it's always hot up here? It's just not me, right? No? Hey, how happy are you guys right here? Yeah. Not awkward at all. <laughs> Men and women, welcome. We are glad that you are with us. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew 9 this morning. We will not end in Matthew 9, but we'll begin there. But before we do, I have something very like is significant. I mean, we want to be a church that is about the most important things in life. And so I just want to take a moment, and I want to talk about something that, that's very near and dear to our community, and it's called Spork. Now, if you don't know what Spork is, you take out your bulletin, and right here at the top. Now, Spork is a, is a fork and a spoon that's together, and it's called a Spork, right? Now, KFC is the only place I know that hands these out on a regular basis, and so I go there regularly just... It was your, what? Do you guys want to go over there? I mean, you're cool. All right. You think she'll be able to focus? Looking at these legs. <laughs> Spork. Now, I, I don't want to tell you what we're going to do there. I just want you to know that it is on a Sunday. It is this, this symbol of ubiquity, this symbol of utility, the spork, is for us a call to deep community. And so we, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't care. I just want you to show up. There'll be a TK burger truck that's there. TK, if you don't know, stands for Tim Keller. So uh, he started, a, he started a, uh, a burger company. It was amazing. And, um, and we're going to do some stuff. And if you're no fan of fun or food or joy, we don't want you. It stands because it's a church and it's got to stand for something. It stands for Spring Picnic Olympic Rainless Calibration. Now, turn to Matthew 9. That's right. You're going to have to show up to find out what in the world it is. Now, Matthew chapter 9, we are going to begin uh, this morning by, um, by looking at some words of Jesus that are very, very familiar to us. But I want to remind you of where they fall in uh, the biography of Jesus that we've been looking at since Christmas. Jesus comes, of course, as the one who promised uh, to Israel for generations. He comes in fulfillment of those promises. Matthew is Jewish, writing to a Jewish audience, very interested in showing us how this Messiah, this Christ, is, is the fulfillment of all of the things that were promised and done. And so Jesus um, spends some time ministering right out of the ministry of John the Baptist. He calls some followers and he instructs them on what it means to live uh, in the reign and rule of God's kingdom. He's, his message is that the kingdom of God is near, that, that you, you can, outside of the religious structures of Israel, now relate and have covenant relationship with God, with God directly through him. 
He teaches about the kind of religiousness that God is looking for. And as it turns out, it's not the religiousness that was being taught by the religious leadership of the day. Uh, Jesus comes and, and talks about what it means to have a new heart and a new rightness that not only manifests itself in outward behavior, but actually is a change of heart. So where's the old covenant? The old covenant was do not kill. Now... Because a covenant has come and God now is going to dwell among his people in very profound ways. Now the issue is anger. It used to be do not commit adultery. Now it's lust. And so this Jesus comes and he's describing a community that gathers around himself and embodies this new covenant that he is inaugurating. And he goes about, as he's teaching, he's not just teaching, but he's demonstrating by healing and exorcisms. He's demonstrating that God's rule has come close to Israel. And that, that, that the outcasts and the misfits, those that were thought untouchable or unclean uh, by the religious establishment, all were welcome. And up until this point, Jesus has been kind of doing this on his own, and everyone else has been watching. So at, at, in uh, chapter 9, uh, Jesus makes a comment to his followers about how there's much work to do and not many to do it. He says, um, chapter 9, verse... 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a very Jewish way of talking about the failure of Israel's religious leadership to lead them uh, in ways that honor God. He then looked at his disciples, his students, and he said, the harvest is plentiful. There are many that are open and receptive to the movement of God. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the ambassadors, are few. Ask God, who is the Lord of the harvest, to send out workers to help carry my mission forward. Now, what's so fascinating is immediately after he asks his followers to pray, he then sends the followers out to be the answers to the prayers they just prayed. So in chapter 10, it says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So what Jesus does is he looks at the, his, his uh, close associates and he says, pray, ask God that there would be more workers. And then after you've asked him, guess who the workers are going to be? You. So he in essence says, you know, prayer is kind of the first step to doing the work yourself. So ask God for more workers, and oh, guess what? You're the workers you just prayed for. And so what he's going to do is he's going to call 12 of them. He had many more than that. The number 12, highly significant in Jewish thought. Israel was made up of 12 tribes. So the symbolism is that there's a remnant of Israel that's gathering around this Christ uh, that will renew all of Israel at some point. And so what, what Jesus says is he gathers them. And before 2,000 years of church history made these uh, men into saints, um, the thing you would have noticed about the list is just how common and how ordinary and how average these people would have been. So he says, here are the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, they ran a fishing business with two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, who uh, wrote this account. Tax collectors were just the scum of Jewish society because they were Jewish folks who were collaborating with the Romans to extort money, in essence from the Jewish populace. So they weren't real popular. So the fact that Matthew names himself as a former tax collector is significant because even those kinds of people were welcome. 
So he says, um, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. The way the zealots wanted to take care of tax collectors and Romans was by killing them. So only Jesus is going to pull a tax collector and a zealot together. Simon uh, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, again, peasants, mostly. Uneducated, mostly. Common, frail. We make comments all the time. Were these the spiritual giants of Israel? Okay, 11 o'clock. Here's the deal. (laughs) The 9 o'clock service. How many of you go to 9 usually? Did Tim ask you? Okay. They were horrible. (laughs) They They were uncaffeinated. They, I mean, they, my spirit was soaring, and they brought me down. I, I don't know. I just, I have, I have higher expectations of you than this. So you've got a bunch of Galilean peasants. Were they the spiritual giants of Israel? No. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. They were not. And in fact, we make this comment all the time. As you go through the Gospels, Jesus is going, are you still so dull? Why don't you believe you of little faith? I mean, these were not extraordinary people. These were very simple, very plain, very common folks. And it's to them, Jesus commissions. He gives a commission to carry on his work. I mean, I want you to be staggered that the Messiah of Israel the rescuer of the world, shows up and says, man, this is a really big job. And he looks at the peasants surrounding him and says, okay, you're going to help. So here's the instructions he gives them. He says, um, do not go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish folks, or enter the towns of the Samaritans, who were the half-Jewish folks. He said, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. This was God's plan all along, to use Israel to reach the nations. So he said, for this trip, I just want you to go to other Jewish folks. He says, um, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, which is what John the Baptist had taught, and this is what Jesus had taught, almost like it's one book and one story. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, all the stuff you've been reading about Jesus doing, he said, now I want you to do that. He said, um, freely you've received, so freely give. I haven't charged you for this, so don't charge anybody. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the workers are worth his keep. In other words, proclaim your dependence on God by not packing so much for the journey. And whenever, uh, whatever town or village you enter, search until you find some worthy person. Worthy doesn't mean of high moral caliber. It just means someone who's receptive. Find, when you go into a town, find someone who's receptive to the message about Jesus. And stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. That was a very Jewish practice. You would enter and you'd bless the house. If the home is deserving or receptive, let your peace The peace of your ministry, the peace of the kingdom associated with your ministry, rest on it. And if it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. Now, shaking the dust off your feet was a very symbolic act of repudiation. Because what you would do is you'd be trudging along for a century uh, Israel, and let's say you were in non-Jewish lands. When you crossed over into Jewish lands, you would take your sandals off, you'd shake the dust out, uh, thereby saying... 
right? We, that I want nothing to do with the land I just walked through. So when Jesus gives this command to his disciples, it's kind of a big deal. In other words, if there are Jewish people that don't respond to him, treat them as you would non-Jewish people. Right? You could see why with some he wasn't real popular. He says, um, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, two Old Testament cities known for their wickedness. He said, it will be more bearable for them on the day of judgment than for the towns that reject me. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd and yet be innocent. Now, Jesus goes on to give other instructions about what will happen as their mission goes into non-Jewish territories. He's going to talk about the persecution they endure from family, about how the Spirit will give them words when they're in front of the, the Gentile rulers. But I just want to look at this set of instructions that was very specific for their mission right around there. Because the thing I want us to pick up, and it's pretty obvious, and it's nothing new for those of you that are like normal church folks, as opposed to the unnormal church folks, I guess, um, it, it, it is, the, is the just kind of blowing of the mind idea that Jesus takes this authority that he's been given and he delegates it to ordinary people to help him accomplish his work. I can tell that you're stunned into absolute reverence Amen. by this idea. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1. Any excuse to Genesis is good. Now, if you don't know where Genesis is, it's on page one. Always a good place to start. Now, Genesis chapter one, if you are new to Jesus, if you're new to the church, this is a kind of a family conversation because we're going to talk about what it means to be the church. Central to being the church is the understanding that the church is a group of people who are sent to participate in the work of God in the world. God has always been and will always be looking for people who cooperate and participate with him. He's not just somebody that shows up and says, uh, you know what, I'm God, I'm much better, let me do it myself. He has every prerogative, he'd do it better, absolutely. And yet, he gives us what Blaise Pascal called the dignity of causality. We, as specks of loved dust, get to participate in the outworking of his desires for the world. And I want us to just be kind of staggered by that a little bit this morning. Because we live in a Christian culture that, that literally has reduced following Jesus down to either knowing rules, memorizing right answers, or consuming church religious goods and services. And none of those things, although they're included in what it means to follow Jesus, are following Jesus. To follow Jesus means you become a participant in the salvation you yourself have enjoyed. And this isn't a new idea with Jesus. This goes all the way back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. Now man there is generic, so it's male and female, men and women, all humanity. Let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man, again humanity, in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And then he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, when you get to this point in the story, God has been creating 
like pretty, like pretty massively, light and dark, sea and land, right? Daytime and nighttime. And, and so he's putting this whole deal together, and then you, you, you come across a man whose name is Adam, and he's made of the ground, which is called Adama. So, so literally the man's name is like dirt man, you know? I mean, like, like, I mean, groundling. I mean, there's just like, it's not a real sophisticated deal. So he was a lump of dirt early in the story. And, and then she's formed in this crazy way out of a rib. Or, I mean, I have no idea how this whole thing went down. But the thing that's so amazing is obviously the creator God could have run the show a lot better than the beloved specks of dirt that he just created. And yet, these specks of dirt are made in the image and in the likeness of this creator God. Now, the words image and likeness are very important words. They were words used in the ancient Near East to describe the statues or monuments that kings and emperors would build of themselves an array across their empire to demonstrate their sovereignty over their empire. So literally, if you were a ruler, you'd have a statue or a monument made to your rulership. It would be an image or likeness of you. And you would place them all around your empire to remind people that you were sovereign over that place. So human beings were faint echoes of God's sovereignty placed on earth as testimony to his sovereignty over it. It's this really, really profound thing. And then he gives them work to do. They didn't sit in an eternal church service. Right? So fill the earth and subdue it. Fun. Well, the fill the earth part. The subdue part, it doesn't mean strip, mine, and pollute. It means care for, direct it in God-honoring ways towards God-honoring ends. Implicit in what it means to be human is the desire to do something that contributes to the common good. Every one of us has that. From the earliest parts of the story, God was looking for cooperative participants in his rule. So he creates image bearers that weren't just stamped with his image, but as part of their image bearing were called to work and to steward and to participate. So this idea isn't new with Jesus, that God would invite us into what he's up to. Go to Exodus chapter 19. We've been to this passage recently. God calls uh, a man Abram, and this is God's answer to how catastrophic the fall has been. Right, So sin and death entered the world in Genesis 3, and the ripple effects kind of go all the way out to the ends of the earth so that God floods the earth and saves one family. And his answer now to bringing redemption to the whole place is to call one man named Abram. Leave your father's household in the country you know and follow me. And then out of nowhere, he just says, and by the way, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your name will be great. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. God could have saved us just directly, and yet he looks for an obedient heart. And and Abraham, if you read his story, was he like super spiritual? 
No, he sells out his wife along the way in Egypt, right? Because he doesn't want to get busted. I mean, like the dude's pretty ordinary. At one point, because his wife uh, was barren and he was promised a kid, he kind of takes matters into his own hands and and sleeps with somebody else to just kind of help Jesus along or help God along a little bit, right? And I mean, this was an ordinary dude. We've turned these people into saints. And yes, there's much that's commendable, but... It, we risk losing their ordinariness in the process. And so God forms this nation, Israel, out of this man. And he rescues them from slavery in the book of Exodus. And they're complaining as they're being rescued. Right? I mean, we were enslaved. We had to work every day. And our firstborn children were being put to death. But we miss onions. I mean, they literally are saying this. And, and those silly people of God, they would never be ungrateful today, would they? So God rescues them, and he calls them into freedom, and he gives them a job description because they've been rescued. He doesn't give them a job description in order to be rescued. After they're rescued, he says, now here's what I want you to do. Chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I have done to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, my agreement, then all the nations, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me what? A kingdom of priests. Does that sound like a passive job? Not at all. Priests were literally intermediaries between God and the rest of humanity. Israel was to be the priest of the world. They were, to dis- they were to be the, the, the funnel through whom the blessings of God would come to the earth. The whole time. And if you look at Israel, were they super spiritual? Not so much. There were moments of great faithfulness and risk, and there were moments of great faithlessness and failure. So is it a surprise that Jesus would gather around himself very ordinary people and give them work to do? Nope, because this is what God has done from the beginning. He creates the earth, some image bearers, now participate. He calls a nation as image bearers, now go participate. And then here comes Jesus, God in flesh. He gathers some common people and he says, go participate. Notice the invitation of Jesus wasn't to write songs about him. Right? Jesus wasn't tooling around Galilee going, I'm looking for some songwriters who will sit and sing to me. Or I'm looking for somebody who writes some creeds about me. Or I'm looking for somebody who will memorize my teaching and do nothing about it. What's he looking for? Common people who are willing to have enough audacity to believe he actually means what he says. When he says, you will be the light of the world. You will be the salt of the earth. You will be, for me, a kingdom of priests. Go to Matthew 28. Jesus ends, or at least as Matthew has it, Jesus ends his ministry on earth. By not only commissioning 12 people, Luke has him commissioning 72 people, then he kind of commissions all of us. And I love how John says it. John says actually at one point, towards the end of um, his gospel, he says, Jesus looked at his followers and he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. That is ridiculous. I mean, 
The sending of Jesus out of love and in sacrifice, in submission to the Father's will, out of compassion for the world. I mean, holy cow, that's a job description worth a life. Our churches are filled with spiritual eavesdroppers. People who follow people who follow Jesus. And we are very interested in people who are broken and common and frail and weak and average and a bit slow, who sometimes have faith and sometimes don't, but who have just enough recklessness to actually believe he is good enough and great enough to do something with you. And instead of seeing this place as a dispenser of religious goods and services, this is a staff meeting. If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a missionary. I mean, here you go. All authority, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does that leave out? Zero. So, Earlier in Matthew, Jesus has demonstrated authority over sickness and over the demonic realm and over nature and all of that stuff. And now he says, this authority has been given to me, therefore, go and make more of you. Go and make disciples. Now, if you've been around church, you know all of this. But my question is, how much of modern Christianity beats this out of us? And I'm a big fan of modern Christianity. I'm a bigger fan of Jesus. And there's some of modern Christianity that misses him entirely. Would you agree? Especially how we view something like this. I want us to be recaptured by the idea that we are sent people. I mean, my church, when I grew up, I went to a little bitty church. We had a big map of the world when you entered in the foyer or the narthex, if you were kind of higher church. <laughs> Which always sounded to me like a part on an ant. You know, the thorax, and then you had the narthex. <laughs> and, and we had a, a picture of the map, and here's Ohio. Mm. <sighs> These false accusations, what? Are they still on the map? You're obviously not a sports fan. (laughs) Not only are they on the map, they dominate the map, my friend. (laughs) And can we pray for Jimmy Trestle? You know this is all false accusation. You know there's no way. Now, so you've got, you got Ohio, and then you had strings, like, like little strings of yarn that would go to different parts of the world, right? And so then you'd have a, a picture of a missionary couple you know, in Taiwan or a missionary couple in Russia. And, and hallelujah, the folks that, that leave all of that and go, I mean, it's a huge deal, worthy of special honor. But what's the implication of the picture? They're the missionaries, and we're not, right? Now, biblically, is that true? It's not. And one of the great disservices we've done is we've taken a distinction that never existed in the Bible between missionaries and non-missionaries and made it a part of our church. We took a distinction in the Bible, ministers and lay people. That is not. Do you, do you understand 
That is an unholy, unbiblical distinction. Do you understand because you possess the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and in community, with the community of God, there isn't another single ounce of training you need to do the ministry that God set before you. And what we will not be in this place, I will not, I will just not let this be a place where we come, are inspired for an hour, and think that is the church. I have one measure of success. Well, I have a couple. One is consistency of, consistency of thought. Never contradicting yourself. I have one, I have a couple. Um, one is laughter, which, in which I'm failing. Ramsey Gold. Um, there is a, uh, one of the things uh, that I, I want to measure my, um, my usefulness by is by how many stories I hear about how great this is versus how many stories I hear about what God's doing in and through you out there. The last thing we want to do is feed American culture's obsession with a cool program and funding the new hip thing. That is an awful, awful thing. Now, can Jesus use weak, frail church shoppers and consumers? Hallelujah. He uses me so he can use anybody. But any time we get a chance to remind ourselves that this is a staff meeting, we're going to. Because you need to understand that God has set a whole sphere before you called your real life in which you, empowered by him under his grace and very imperfectly, can be used to influence so we gather to remind ourselves we're loved. Why? So we can love. I mean, I mean you've got to know first that there is no condemnation, so we're not going to go walk around being condemning. We celebrate forgiveness. Why? So we can be forgivers. We celebrate and reorient ourselves around the grand character of God because you leave here and have the audacity to testify to his character in the midst of the chaos of this world. This whole deal is to mend us and repair us, to remind us and to reorient us, so that we might then be little ambassadors. And I know you know this, guys, but I'm just so tired of hearing people talk about coming to church to be fed. I don't want you to leave fed, I want you to leave hungry. I want you to leave hungry for more of him, I want you to leave hungry for more of you following him and not just following people who follow him. And I want you to leave hungry for him to use you as broken and ordinary and common as we are in your real life. We just don't want to be a community that says the safest place to be is the center of God's will. That's not true. Do you know that? I hear people say that and I go, no, that's not true. Was Paul safe? I mean, read him. He'll say, well, yeah, let me, let me recount here. I was shipwrecked a couple of times and I was beaten within an inch of my life and then some nakedness and I went hungry for a while and now I'm in prison. And I mean, do you think somebody who came and said, hey, Paul, the safest place is in the center of God's will. 
Well, it depends what you mean by safe. If it's an American definition of safe, it means without inconvenience, without trust, without dependence, without faith. It means you in control and God is your self-help guide. Jesus has no interest in that definition of safe. So we're just looking for people who are common and plain and ordinary. We're looking for people that are colossal screw-ups. I mean, I mean big time. I don't mean like I cheated on my income taxes. I mean I have fill in the blank with whatever you have done. And we're looking for folks that come to Jesus and recognize they're immediately put back to work. They're mended so that they will mend. They're repaired so that they will be repairers. They're restored so they will be restorers. And we're going to forget this, so we'll gather again next week to remind us. Right? This is what we do. And it's the best way to live. You will not find the life that is really life in living for yourself. Jesus promises, if you really want to find life, give yours up and see what happens. Now, I want to introduce you to somebody who's going to tell you a few stories. The purpose of the stories is only to say, here's what God can do through ordinary people around the world, and to give you an opportunity to join in. This is not a sales pitch, because you're going to hear this pitch on non-outreach weekends too, because this is a central conviction of who we are, all right? I'm trying to think, did I forget to say anything? Absolutely. Can introduce me. There's this, does everyone else see her too? I thought it was an angel for just a moment. Okay, this is Barb. And uh, Barb rocks. Barb is our outreach pastor. And, um, thank you. Now, whistling for, for outreach, pastor, or just the babe factor. I'm not sure, I'm not sure which it is. Maybe that I rocked, I don't know. You get that a lot? No. Oh. I thought that's what you said. What did you say? No, I said, I said maybe the rocks part. I, I did not say I get that a lot. That's okay, not. I don't know. <laughs> I, I get that know. all the time. <laughs> I've, you know, I've struggled with that. And, um, with those legs. So, this is Barb. And, uh, and I, want, I asked Barb to come and, and share a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on overseas. And here's the reason. Not because the missionaries are the only ones that go overseas. But because sometimes exposing yourself to what God is doing in the world is the best way to capture his heart for your next door neighbor. Sometimes, like the Alexanders were saying, the reason you go to Mexico isn't because we're the great white hope. It's the recognition that the center of Christianity has moved. And countries are sending missionaries here. Sometimes you just need to go and be reminded that God doesn't speak English. And he's not white. He's light-skinned, but he obviously, I mean, he's not. Okay, what were we talking about? Oh, my gosh. We were going to talk about outreach and partnerships. Partnerships. Yes, yes. Barb. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yeah, <laughs> no. um, yeah I want to share with you just uh, maybe... 
lots of things I want to share with you, but I've got a little bit of time. So um, maybe why we partner uh, globally and why we choose to partner with churches. And I mean, you might be asking yourself, why don't we just let them do it? Or why don't we just go and do it? Well, we partner with churches specifically because, well, a number of reasons. One is they're the experts in their country and their culture. I mean, they're the ones that are our guides because they know their flock. And they're the ones that are going to be there when we leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only that, we um, feel that when we unite with them as the body of Christ, as the church, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, just like the passage in Corinthians. You can take that and, and overlay that over the global church. And we've got strengths that Kenya and Egypt and Mexico don't, and vice versa. We have a lot to learn from them. So when we're united, we are stronger together than we could be apart. So that's really important. And we look for churches and partnerships around the world that are um, really making a difference. We kind of just want to go where God's already working and we just follow him and this global party he's having and we just want to be a part of that. You know, So we just follow him where he's already working with these churches that are really making an impact and courageously changing the cultures of the countries that they're in. And we partner with them in things like leadership development. We want to help raise up the next generations of leaders globally with innovative church planning strategies around the world and um, just bringing the, the gospel in a relevant way um, with, in a way that's culturally relevant you know, to where they're at. So, um, when he was Well, I, tell me about the Egypt one because I mean, you you know, there's been stuff going on in Egypt. Anybody? Right? You've heard? Yeah. There, we have a church that we partner with on the square where all of that took place. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, they're actually the largest Christian church in the Middle East, and they have 25 uh, churches and countries in the Middle East. And they have been, they actually sent us some pictures. This is uh, pictures of them on the Libyan border just in the last week that have been the hands that feeded Jesus to those refugees there passing out food and clothing the things that they need. And we have uh, the blessing to partner with them and learn from them. And then we have out um, on the patio, you'll see that Egypt is one of the partnerships, but Mexico and Kenya are the other two. Kenya, we pastor with Mabuno Church and Pastor Moravi, and he is, um, he wants to develop fearlessly, influ- uh, fearless. Yep. Influencers of society is what he says, which I love. And he has this vision of planting churches in the top 10 capital cities in Africa. Huge vision. And they're really making an impact and teaching us so much here because we actually got rooted from them. Mizizi is, um, means rooted in Swahili. So, you know, they've already impacted this church as thousands of us have already gone through rooted. And then Mexico, you guys heard about uh, Pastor Daniel. And Rojo Gomez is a community of about 10,000 people. So these churches, when we talk about 50 churches in his lifetime, I mean, these are like little churches, like our high schoolers built his second church, which is in Rojo Gomez. And we have the ability to reach out to these 10,000 people through the breakfast program. And we want to build a community center there I'm in partnership with them. And that is just going to be a hub of activity and being the light to Jesus um, in Rojo Gomez. And it's two hours away. So easy to get there and be a, be a part of that. So, so. Um, tell us what you want us to do. Well, um, I love what you're saying just about... Thank you. Like, well, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> just want to affirm you, Mike. You're oh, so great. Oh, you're great, thank too. You. <laughs> you're such a good teacher. Oh. <laughs> no, but just the fact that you just take... Um, God uses ordinary <laughs> broken people, and the things that we're going to ask you to do, you might be thinking, like, I am not equipped. Well, we're not. Like, we're totally not equipped, but that's what we need God's strength to do these kind of things. And so, I mean, Jesus calls us to do this, and we've got some action steps for you. Um, I love the way Mike puts it. He says... Pray and pay and play. So, those pray. are your steps. Those are the steps. Come on, it's three so, P's, guys. You I see know, the brilliance of that? It. Come on, that's <laughs> what preachers do. I mean, you alliterate stuff like spork. Oh dear. 
So what we'd love for you to do is we'd love for you to pick one of the countries out there, to Kenya or Mexico or Egypt, and we'd love for you to pray. And it's um, really about uh, the fact that God might use you to answer that very prayer and just being open to how God's going to use you in that. And the second thing is um, the offering that we're going to take and just giving in that capacity that allows us to do all that God has us to do in the kingdom. And we are very committed to being strategic with the resources that God's given us and leveraging it to make the biggest impact in the kingdom. So know that. And then the last thing is to play. And uh, there's ways that you can do that. Sponsor a child. Is there a uh, dot? You're going to explain the dots? I will explain the dots. Okay. Hang on, Hotshot. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, you know what I would love? I mean, not that it's a competition, but we sponsored more kids last night than Irvine, and I would love to go back and tell them we rocked it today. And let me tell you, that. Irvine, no, 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 let me Daddy, be clear. Is that bad let me be clear. If you don't know, if you don't know what she's referring to, we're, we're an expression of Mariner's Church in Irvine. Or, more accurately, they're an expression of us. Woo! <laughs> okay, so, so here's the deal. There is... Let's just pounce them with this. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen. Just saying. We're better looking. We're mo- far more athletic. And, and more godly, all right? Just, just so we're clear. And if you're visiting oh from gosh. there, take it back. Take it is back. this one being recorded? Because we had to ask that last time, too. Is okay. this one recorded? I don't know. Okay. Okay, otherwise you can play. Um, we are going to have a Muslim conversation here uh, in the next, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks. And you can go on the patio and find out more. So if you're interested in, in reaching out to that community locally, and then, of course, in Egypt, it's a, it's a, we're um, partnering with that. And there's also going to be an opportunity to come back after the services in a couple weeks to learn more about our Africa partnership in Kenya and in Egypt. Or you can go on a trip. You can join. Actually, the Alexander's son, Tyler, is going to Africa. You can join him on a trip to Africa this summer. Learn more about that on the patio or, again, going to Mexico. By the way, uh, the trip dates in this little bulletin, it says Sundays. It's actually Saturdays. We go once a month on Saturday, and we take about 65 to 85 people a month to do medical clinics. And if you sponsor a child in May, there's going to be a big birthday party for all the kids to come, and you get to meet your sponsored kid. And I'd love to tell you all a lot more, but I got to go, I think, right? Yes. Get in the boot. All right. Thanks, you guys. Look forward to meeting on the patio. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.